For this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue in Matthew chapter 22, looking at verses 15 to 22. Um, so please stand with me to read the word of God. Uh, standing in reverence of God and who he is, and standing because it's a sign of God moving in and through us. Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Pray. God, this morning we thank you for meeting us here. Um, Your spirit is surely in this place. It's good to know that you meet us where we are, that you meet us in community, that you meet us here Sunday morning for corporate worship. And, And God, this morning as we look at your word, as we look at what it means for us, um, I pray that we can leave with a deeper love of you and who you are. God, I pray that our, our minds, that our, our souls can be um, rested this morning and um, that we will hear you. We will not hear me. That you can speak to us, each one of us personally, this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, so as we move into the text uh, this morning, what I don't want to neglect to do, uh, first of all, is tell each of you, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I don't know if you know this, um, but today begins the first day of Advent. Um, and so I don't know how many of you follow the Christian calendar, um, but today is that first day. Growing up in a non-denominational Christian household, uh, we didn't really celebrate a whole lot of things in the Christian calendar. We celebrated major holidays for sure, um, but we also did uh, we did look into um, Advent quite a bit, and we did that for sure by having a calendar. Maybe some of you had that little calendar growing up, and it had a big mural um, of Jesus in the manger, and then each day there was a different uh, day. You'd flip open the little flap, and it had a different Bible verse, all leading us to um, Jesus' birth, Christmas. And so we'd have each one of these days. And that Advent calendar now isn't always related to Jesus. I was at Starbucks yesterday, and they had an Advent calendar, which was um, just a bunch of different tins filled with chocolate. So each day you get to eat a different piece of chocolate. So I guess that's Advent nowadays, um, is that we eat chocolate. Might be a little different, but um, I know as a kid growing up, the little Advent calendar that we had, I always enjoyed um, reading that next Bible verse. If it was my turn, there were four kids, so we would take turns reading that Bible verse. And I always thought it was really cool. I thought it was a lot of fun to read that verse. Uh, But at least... As cool as that was the knowledge that we were one day closer to Christmas Day, which is synonymous with opening up Gifts Day. Um, And so that was probably something I look forward to even more than Bible verse. Um, Call me a sinner which I am. Um, but uh, that was just what I, what I liked. And I think we're in this season right now, Advent building up to the coming of Jesus, yes, but we are also building up to things that our world presents us with. Um, and so 
I always loved Christmas, and I could give you every recap of my childhood Christmases, but I'm going to just stick to one, because this is leading to Matthew 22. Uh, we will get there. Uh, but I will just stick to Christmas of 1997. And I'm guessing my brother already knows Christmas of 1997. Um, this was the year that we asked our aunt for the coveted Game Boy video game systems. Our parents never let us have video games growing up because they didn't want our minds to melt. Um, thankful for that. But we did convince them that if our uh, Aunt Avenel bought us Game Boys, then we would read for as often as we played the video game. So it would be a good, you know, good thing that we could have going on there. Um, and I was really excited about this. And I, I was pretty sure I would love this Game Boy because when I was a kid, um, my Amish neighbor would babysit us, and Amish can't have electricity, but they can have batteries, and Isaac had a Game Boy, and I got to play Mario when I was babysat by my Amish neighbors, so I always enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah, not quite Amish Mafia, but pretty close. Um, so Christmas morning, 97 rolls around. I'm the first one awake, because I always was. Uh, at least I was awake before our older sister, who is an absolute Scrooge on Christmas Day. Um, not a screw, she just likes sleeping in. So woke her up at 7, we all sit around, we get all of our presents, uh, we're opening them up, we're taking turns opening up our gifts in the morning. Um, and then at the very end, we're done with all the gifts, and then there was that special box, the box that comes from Tennessee. The box from our aunt. And so Thomas and I open up these gifts simultaneously, and sure enough, there they are. The matching Game Boy pockets. His was green, mine was silver. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. He got a football game with his. Uh, I might be wrong, I think it was football. Um, and so I got a hockey game, Blades of Steel. And so, you know, it's, we put those batteries in the Game Boy and we sat down on the couch and we start playing these Game Boys, the thing that we were looking forward to so much. And it wasn't before long that I hear Thomas, you know, celebrating. He scored a touchdown. He was all happy. And at that same time, um, I was giving up my fourth goal, losing 4-0 in Blades <laughs> of Steel. And uh, I am a bad loser. I'm a really bad loser. I turned it off and I hated it. I was really mad. I was really frustrated by that. And it was just like, why was I even excited about this Game Boy? It's stupid. This thing cheats. The game is rigged. It's impossible. There's no way anybody can win Blades of Steel. Go get it right now. You won't win. It's impossible. And I don't know why I was looking forward to this anyway. Everybody knows that video games are stupid. They melt your mind. So, you know, my attitude changed pretty quickly. And I was just excited expecting something so much more than I had. And the reality of what I got was not nearly as good as what I imagined it to be. And so it left me frustrated. And that's where all things that frustrate us come from, by the way. Um, I was listening to a, a sermon from Matt Chandler, and he shared what his disciple told him. And that is that frustration, all frustration comes from unmet expectations. All frustrations come from that, not just losing video games. And it wasn't just that I was mad that I lost. I was mad and I was frustrated because from that first day of Advent, I was reading through the Bible verses, yes, but I could not wait for Christmas Day because I wanted that immediate bliss that was going to come from that Game Boy Pocket. But then I was met with a challenge instead, and it left me very frustrated because it was not what I expected. And there were obviously many frustrations this past week. Um, from unmet expectations of a grand jury's decision not to indict Darren Wilson. That frustration manifested itself very differently in, other, in different parts of uh, the country, for sure. Sometimes it was physically violent. It manifested itself as verbally forceful. Um, sometimes it was a peaceful protest, um, a peaceful disagreement. But um, no matter what it was, there were obvious signs of frustration. And if people weren't frustrated by the decision, then people were frustrated by people's reaction to the decision. 
I think our entire country was frustrated. I went to Facebook and just felt, I don't even know what I felt. Every single person was frustrated on one side or the other. It was, it was not good, but we were all frustrated. Everybody was frustrated because of an unmet expectation somewhere. And so we all have these frustrations in our own life. Every frustration, think about it. Think about any frustration you've had. Did it come from something other than an unmet expectation? I'm guessing that it didn't. So as we enter this holiday season, we're being told um, what expectations we should have for Christmas. And newsflash, being fed anything other than Jesus is going to leave you empty. It's not going to fulfill you. And so Advent means the coming. And it's time for us to recognize the coming of Jesus as a baby born in a manger. And so we constantly await that. And this is representative of us also waiting for Jesus coming back again. So no matter what your expectations are of Jesus, anything that you're expecting from Jesus, you will not be let down. You will never have an unmet expectation from Jesus. You won't be left frustrated with Jesus. So put your hope in him. And so in these verses that we're looking at this morning, there's definitely some frustrated people um, by the end of this. Mainly the Pharisees, I would say, are even more frustrated than the Herodians in this case. But they're frustrated because the answer that Jesus gives them to their question is not what they expect. They're expecting that this question that they're going to ask Jesus is going to trap him, will bring the end of him. And this question that they ask, again, verse 17, is it lawful? That's important here, lawful. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So just to make sure uh, we get this straight, these verses are different than the verses I talked about maybe three months ago. We talked about um, the temple tax uh, a few months ago from chapter 17. And that tax was not by any means an offensive tax. The people that collected that tax weren't the bad tax collectors that nobody liked. That was a tax that people just paid towards the temple. Um, Common, normal, it was fine. Uh, This tax, fast forward to the... To the text today, um, this is the tax everybody hated. If you had a head, you paid this tax. And nobody liked to pay this tax, especially the Pharisees. They hated paying this tax to Caesar. They didn't feel like they should be ruled by anybody. They were set apart, and so they didn't want to pay that by any means. And so this hated tax to the Pharisees, they were hoping to ask this question to Jesus, and that Jesus, like them, hated this tax. Okay, And so if that were the case, as long as as long as they're representatives of the Roman Empire here to hear that Jesus hated the tax then they could charge Jesus for conspiracy against the Roman Empire and they could punish him even to death because they wanted to kill him. That was the point. So the Pharisees teamed up with the Herodians, people that didn't even get along. But the Herodians, again, were people that worked for Herod under the Roman Empire. And so they were going to see to it that people respected the Roman Empire because they weren't. They were going to make sure people respected the hand that fed them. They liked the Roman Empire. They worked for them. So that was one side of this question that was meant to trap Jesus. If Jesus said, no, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians hate him. The other side of the question then, at the same time, if Jesus were to answer their question by saying, yes, it is lawful to pay these taxes to Caesar. It's not just something that could be done, but it's actually insisting that it should be done, that it is lawful to pay this to Caesar then the people, the common people, would no longer respect Jesus like they did currently. Because this is Abraham's seed. They're not to be stuck in bondage to anybody. So they are not lawfully owed anything to the government. We see in John eight thirty three they say this. 
They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So they don't think they should be ruled by anyone, and Caesar, in this case, is no exception for them. So remember, the Pharisees have been afraid of what the people thought for a while now. Four weeks ago, I talked about how they were afraid of what the people thought because they held John the Baptist to be a prophet. And so they were hoping that maybe the people would turn against Jesus if he said, yes, it is lawful to pay Caesar's tax. So that's the trap. One, Jesus says it's not lawful to pay the tax and the Herodians hate him and have him killed. Or two, Jesus says it is lawful to pay the tax and the people turn against him. And then they make it easy to punish him in their courts without them looking back. That's why they ask this question. And then this is simultaneously why they end up frustrated because this foolproof plan did not take into account um, that Jesus really is what they call him mockingly in verse 16. Um, See that again. We know that you are true and teach the way of God faith truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But that's not their expectation. They're lying through their teeth. If that was actually their expectation, they would have been frustrated by this. So instead, we see Jesus then calling them out on their true motives. Verse 18, why put me to the test, you Hypocrites, which is a strong word. I think I've shared that um, before. It's a strong word Word in other parts of the world. In America, we use it pretty lightly. Um, hypocrite is not something that is um, taken well. People would rather be cussed at than be called a hypocrite in most parts of the world. So how does Jesus know this? How does he know their hearts? Um, Jesus is about to give an answer now. How does he know to even give this answer that doesn't trap him? Um, Don't forget, Jesus is God. And so as intellectual as the Pharisees um, think they are, they are not more intellectual than Jesus. As intellectual as anyone today thinks they are, as intellectual as you think you are, you are not more intellectual than God. FYI. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we were made in God's image. We'll talk about that later. So how could we become a greater thinker than our creator? We can't do that. So the sooner that I can remember that in my own life, the better off I'll be. And the sooner I accept that invitation to God's party, the better off I'll be. So Jesus knows their hearts because he's the king. Okay, he is the king. And another piece of our Christian calendar for us um, this morning, I don't know if we know this, last Sunday, um, the Sunday every year before Advent, is known as Christ the King Sunday. Um, I'm not sure if anybody knew that. We didn't really talk about it last week. And this began not that long ago, 1925 is, is when it began. And it began as a response to a growing Awareness that culture was moving away from recognizing authority and recognizing specifically Jesus as authority and as king. And this was happening amidst rising violence and racism in the world. Yes, that was from 1925, not from last week. But it could have been from last week. Pretty word for word. Christ the King Sunday is meant for us to remember that our allegiance is to Jesus before everything else. So for 89 years now, we've used that Sunday as a day to remember that in the middle of political turmoil that we have in our world. We need to recognize Jesus as King. And so that is leading then into today, right into Advent, in which we read um, in Isaiah. Uh, This is probably one of my favorite songs from Amy Grant Christmas, which you should listen to if you don't. Isaiah 9, verse 6. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a prophecy we have here. That's how Jesus can give the answer that he gives, because he can know the right answer, and he can teach it perfectly with this object lesson that we have, starting in verse 19. So this object lesson, Jesus is given a Roman coin, with Caesar and all of his pseudo-deity, you know, the, the empire, the leader is uh, more or less a god to be worshipped. So his pseudo-deity is imprinted on this coin. And Jesus looks at this coin. And in his answer, he changes the language of their question. They asked him by answering with the word render. He didn't say give it to him. He says render it. Also meaning return it to or restore it to whom it belongs. It's not that it's lawful to give it to the Roman government. It's just that it's right to restore it to the person where it came from. In this case, that person is Caesar. And so that's how this passage is pointing to a Christian's proper relationship to the government, willing submission to the government, despite the fact that it was the Romans and that the Romans persecuted them. And um, many governments in our world from then till now are persecuting us. So yes, Christian, pay your taxes. Submit to that authority that God has placed And Paul writes about authority in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and to those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear servant, does, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For being of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to him. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. But we remember who the ultimate authority is. And that's what Jesus is teaching everybody through this object lesson. Yes, render that stuff back to Caesar. But only because in turn it's obedience to God, the ultimate authority. Don't give government your worship. Don't give government your hope. Romans 11.36 For from him not from government, and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And now is where I think it really gets interesting for us. Jesus drops the bomb here and he says what we really need to hear at the end, the second part of verse 21 here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So this is what we really want to think about this morning. Rendering giving back to God the things that are God's. And so there are three things that God um, put on my heart on Monday to share today. And so I spent all week um, not wanting to share them, finding ways to not share these, a couple of these things. Um, And a lot of times I'm afraid to share some things that I hear uh, from God for a couple reasons. One reason is because I'm always afraid that it won't come out from me to you the way that it came from God to me, um, which is ultimately me not trusting in God. So I will share them because I will trust in God. And, and the other reason I sometimes don't want to share these things is because I don't do them well myself. Um, but ultimately, that is not trusting in God either. So um, these three things I do want to share with us this morning. Um, so if we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's because they belong to him, um, then the first thing we render to God because it belongs to God is our money. 
So um, our money we need to render to God. Now, don't take this the wrong way. There's a magazine um, maybe over there. Andrew Bryant saw it the other day. Um, a, a magazine. There's a church in, in Texas that is offering a money-back guarantee. So if you give to the church and all of the promises that God promises do not happen, then they will give you your money back. I am not offering a money-back guarantee (laughs) by any means. I'm not even telling you to give money to the church. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm reiterating here that if we are rendering to the government what is theirs, and that means paying our taxes, then paying your taxes is then, in turn, a small, teeny tiny, minute detail in rendering your money to God. Because rendering to Caesar is a subset of rendering to God. So more importantly than paying your taxes, though, is this realization that our money is not our own. We would have no money if it weren't for God anyway. So the least that we can do with our money is offer it up to the Lord and render it to him. All of our money, all of it, render it to God and see what he'll have you do with it. Will he have you pay your taxes? Maybe. Will he have you tied to the church? Maybe. Will he have you support a missionary? Maybe. Will he have you buy somebody lunch that you don't even know? Maybe. Will he have you pay your bills? Maybe. Will he have you buy a new car? Maybe. Will he have you pay for education? Most of us have done that. Maybe. I would, could probably say probably to a lot of these, and I could keep going with every single thing, but what I'm getting at here is that um, we need to just be willing to render it all to God, every single thing. So in God's way, that's how we have to render not in our own way. And so I'm going to share some personal experiences with you in these three things that we need to render to God because personal experience is what I know best and um, it might not relate to you. I pray that part of it will tug at your heartstrings and you'll, you'll hear something this morning. Um, but in terms of rendering money to God, uh, the biggest hurdle that I had before working with crew in Rome um, was the idea of raising financial support. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to raise support. I didn't know what I really thought about raising support or if it was okay. And um, through a lot of prayer, through counsel, and through a whole lot of Bible, um, it became very evident to me that it is good and that God calls people to full-time missions. Um, 3 John 1, 5-8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And then Paul writes in Corinthians about God directing those that proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And then Paul also says, but I am going to be a tent maker. And at that point in time, he was building tents because he did not want the people in Corinth to have any sense that he might have a false motive in sharing the gospel with him. So at that point in time, he was not being supported. He was building tents. But then we see later... um, we see later in Romans that he asks the church before in Rome, before he goes to Spain, please support me. So it depends on different, different points of life, what God will have for support. Matthew tells that the worker is worthy of his wage. So all these things, I, I clearly got over these because I did raise support and I ultimately went to Rome as a fully funded missionary. But that then is where the real struggles for me began. How do I spend this money? Is it okay now? I'm at the grocery store. I'm buying groceries. Is it okay if I buy coffee? Nobody needs coffee. Like, 
I don't need coffee, and now I have money from other people that are supporting me. So is it okay to buy this coffee for a euro fifty? I mean, that's like two twenty-five in American dollars. I don't know if my supporters would be okay with me buying coffee because it's their money that they're giving me. And then, what about clothes? Does anybody really need more than one pair of jeans? I mean, not not really. So can I? Should I buy more pair of jeans? I'd have to use the money that people are supporting me with. It's really hard. It's their money that they gave me. So I don't know if I can do that. What about traveling to another country? Yeah, I got a ticket for 30 bucks, but is that okay that I get to just travel and, and do that with this money? What about this apartment that I live in? We had a little terrace about this big, and I put a couch on it, and I got to sleep outside on a terrace. Like, is that okay to live in an apartment like this? Should I move to another part of town um, where rent might be cheaper? But why would I even live in an apartment when I could live at the train station under the overhang? Right? I've talked about that before. I could just live there. That's free. That's better than some people that are in Africa that are living in dung houses. Right? I mean, where do I draw this line? How do I spend this money? It's not an easy thing. So maybe you get my struggle here. And I thought to myself one time, if only I just had a job here, then I wouldn't have to worry about that. Whoa. How did I get to that point? What does that mean? If I had a job in Italy, I'm still going to be accountable to God with every dollar that I make. And so why would it matter anyway where my money is coming from? If that money is coming from people that are supporting me financially and praying for me, and I know where that money is coming from, or if it's coming from people that are paying taxes to a school that I'm teaching at and I don't even know. It doesn't matter where this money is coming from. No matter where it's coming from, it's all God's. And everything, every single cent, every purchase, everything I do, I have to approach God. I have to render it to God. So follow God with your money. Render that to God. The second thing I want us to think about rendering to God this morning is our time. And this one is really similar to money in some regards. The way that we spend our time should be similar to how we spend our money. Spending our time wisely definitely includes working. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily. That's for the Lord and not for men. The Amish do this very well. Go to Holmes County. 2 Thessalonians 3.10-12, for even when we were with you, We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So again, this was very much brought to the surface for me as I lived as a fully supported missionary. I'm getting paid to be a missionary, so I better be a missionary not a busybody that walks in idleness. And it's really a strange job because this is truly one of those jobs where you're, you know, you're always working and you're never working. It doesn't really feel like work because I literally love walking around to an Italian college campus and striking a conversation with an Italian there, talking about God, following up with them to talk more about God later, meeting up with refugees, serving food, talking about Christianity, talking about Islam, talking about everything with them. I love those things. It's a lot of fun. Those things are all awesome. And so it led me to a point where then this outward mission that I had was so strong that I was sacrificing then this inward mission of God working on my heart. And the story of Martha and Mary modeled my life pretty well. Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so I was Martha here. I was not able to rest in God because because I was too busy controlling my own time. I had no concept of a Sabbath or what that means. Exodus tells us 34, 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest? God, are you sure? You know you need me during plowing time and harvest, right? God, you know that that work needs to be done. You need me for that. Um, Yeah, he can use me for that, but he doesn't need to by any means. God is in control of that. He's in control of the harvest. And so by me not taking a Sabbath, I was not submitting to God or his authority or recognizing the fact that God is in control and he can do things without me. And I need that inward mission of my heart growing in love with Jesus. And I also don't want to teach legalism here. Don't take it too far. I'm telling you that, yeah, you need a Sabbath. So Sunday is your Sabbath day, and so you don't work. So that includes not flipping your light switch on. Some people hold to that, that flipping on a light switch would be work. Don't do it. Um, but I'm not saying that. Don't take this the legalistic way. Um, don't, don't take it too far either way. I just know that in the city, um, city life can be a lot of hustle and a lot of bustle. And it can be really easy to forget um, what a Sabbath really means in our lives. And I want you to give control to God. Rest in Him. Find that time. How do you do that? You render all of your time to God. So first, render your money. Secondly, render your time. And thirdly, um, this is the one that really matters. Uh, Render your heart. The first one and the second one don't mean anything without this third one. Rendering your money, rendering your time, it will be a complete waste of your time and your money and your energy if it's not done out of first rendering your heart to Jesus. Just like we saw the coin with Caesar's likeness and inscription rendered back to Caesar. So you have God's likeness and inscription on your heart. Render it back to God. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. I mentioned it earlier. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created you in his own image. We are created and designed to be in a relationship with God. In our current state, in this broken world, none of us can have that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, who has bridged that gap from us to God. And that's why Jesus tells us to render our hearts, to render our lives to him. Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Render your heart. Render your life to Jesus, and you will actually find life. You will know what it's like to be loved from that sacrificial gift that Jesus gave of himself. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all, the sacrificial gift, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And you not only experience the love of Jesus by rendering your heart to him, but you can now love. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. That is Jesus. The coming of Jesus into this world, the word made flesh, as it's put, is what we're eagerly awaiting and anticipating as we acknowledge Advent starting today. Jesus gave himself for us so that we can actually live. We have Jesus' inscription on our hearts, so render that to him. And only after you render your life, only after you render your heart, does it make sense to, yes, render your money, render your time. Doing that and knowing your place as a child of God will never leave you frustrated. It will never be an unmet expectation if you render your heart to God. Let's pray. God, this morning, even as we sing to you, as we sang before, we just want love. And God, we will not experience love outside of you. It won't happen. And God, I pray that we can see that this morning and that we can see that you are worth it. That there is no expectation that won't be met when we commit our lives to you. And God, yes, we can render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But that's only because it is, again, the small part of rendering to you. And God, as we live our lives and start to render more of our lives to you every day, I pray that you can use each one of us to help push each other in rendering more of ourselves and always giving more of ourselves to you. We always hold on to ourselves. We don't want to give up. But God, if we give up control in our own power and instead rely on you, we will have the greatest gift of all. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. I thank you that we can have this time starting Advent today, that we can see this anticipation build as we wait for the coming of the Messiah. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.